the awareness begets change is my favorite quote where it's just catch myself just like kind of pouting or being angry or maybe being disengaged and the question i ask myself is usually what does my highest self look like at this exact moment All right, hey, tallest podcast on earth. We're back with none other than Dustin Watton. And Dustin, I'll be honest, I don't know how you feel, but if I look a little sedated right now, it's because your boy just got a solid contact high from that sun, dude, because it was 58, <laughs> 58 degrees and sunny this morning. And uh, yeah, I, I definitely feel like I am a 0.02% darker than I was a couple hours ago. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I think I told you this. Uh, Jeff convinced me to go to Dubai and Christmas, and then we had like another, like three day break, and so my girlfriend was here with me, and we went to Tel Aviv, and I was just like, man, what am I doing in my life? Like, I can feel this way like all throughout the year, <laughs> and it was so good, and <laughs> it just, I don't know, the sun is just, it's just so powerful, it's so like soul enriching. So, well, we and I also feel, today, but. I, dude, I also feel like it's like everything else in life. It's like if we we got so used to. I posted something yesterday where uh, two days ago or yesterday was the first day of like spring is here. You know, it was fifty eight degrees. It was sunny. People were outside. People were showing skin for the first time. And I swear to God, I was walking around the city just like looking at people. Like in some way, I felt so connected to them. Like you guys, we made it. Like we, we made it through the harshest winter in human history, dude. Look at us, you know, and, <laughs> and I don't know about you, but it's like, it's crazy that how much like the, the human system just adapts, right? Like we get so comfortable and you have so much stuff going on. I can't wait to dive into, but like, you know, we get so comfortable with the routine of like, go to practice. We play indoor volleyball, you know, go to weights indoors. Then we come back home and you know, we're working on different projects and like, we get so used to not being outside. And then when I stepped outside, I was like, Oh, this is what I've been missing. You know, <laughs> like a crucial part of our DNA, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. I talk about it a lot with, for those that know my girlfriend's name is Sam. So if I say Sam, uh, with Sam where I'm like, Oh, spring in Poland's amazing. I can't wait for you to see it. And I'm just like, March, still not here. April, still not here. I'm like, trust me, it's amazing. Um, I remember my first time in Ratham, where it's just like the energy when the shops and the cafes open up outside and just, yeah, it's just like, we've, we've made it. We've made it. Because in Poland, it's like starting in October until April, you got six, seven months of winter. Like it's pretty freaking gnarly. And not like a Denver or Utah winter where it's like, oh, it's sunny. Let's go snowboarding. It's like, I can't see my hand when I walk outside. <laughs> it's so dark. Yeah. And it gets dark yeah. around 3 p.m. And so it's hard, but it's just kind of uh it's the path we choose, right? Um, I'm actually gonna go to the NCAA Final Four. And if it works out, I'm gonna talk to athletes. But a big thing I want to get across is like, hey, when you go play pro, it's gonna suck, but that's okay, right? Because I think a lot of athletes that go overseas are like, wow, I'm going to play pro. It's going to be better than college. Pro is better than college, right? Better coaches, better management. 
better locker rooms, a shower that doesn't smell like a bathroom. <laughs> and it's just like all these things happen. And you're like, uh, is this like everyone's experience? No, no, no. This is probably just my experience. And it's just like, no, like pro sucks. Like, Dude, especially I, I, for a, a foreign libero or middle blocker, it's like, hey, you're going to be making less than $25,000 for maybe your first four or five, six years. Man, I, I like revisited that the other day. I met with this girl one-on-one -on -one and she was telling me she's playing like second division in Greece or something and how she's like ready to go home and just like it was her first experience overseas and just like debriefing a little bit of what that's like. And it is such a, it's such a hard thing to explain, right? Like many times you hear people like, oh, you're complaining that you get to like do what you love doing and do what you love doing at a professional level. And I think it's, I think we're so unique. Like it's such a unique position to be in as compared to like getting to play in the NBA or something or getting to play in like your home turf or like, for example, being from Poland and playing in Poland. Like that's a dream for most of those kids, you know, like for most of those guys. And I think you're right. It just comes with like such unique uh, challenges, you know? Well, especially too, because if you talk about Poland, um, I remember when I first got to Rad, my first year in Poland, the president set me down. It was just kind of explaining the landscape of Polish volleyball. And it's like, this is a big deal for people here because um, guys that play volleyball in Poland, they're making anywhere from five to 20 times the amount that an average worker would make. The average salary here is about a thousand dollars a month. And you guys got, you got guys making 10, 15, 20, maybe $25,000 a month. And uh, it's pretty freaking wild. Uh, and there's some foreigners that are making a little bit more than that. So to have that type of money and to have that type of fame, yeah, it's pretty easy. It's pretty clear. You're on TV all the time. Um, when you go, when you walk around town, even for myself, people ask you for autographs, for photos. It's like pretty in, uh, intoxifying, right? But mm. that's not how you start off, right? You start off, I started off in Finland. And then my big upgrade was the second league in France, still making, you know, like 15,000 euros and darkness, no friends, no family, a coach that really doesn't care if you improve or do well. They're just looking for another contract. So it's quite contrast to the family you had in college. And then I think a lot of athletes, they have that first impression and they're just like, oh, Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm not cut out for it, whatever. But I think for you and for myself and for other guys on the national team, you lean into it because there's something there's a there's something bigger than just yourself. And that's the collective for being on the national team. And this is something that you have to do. Um, also, this is like a random side note that I wanted to mention earlier. Dude, what is up with daylight savings? Because I just like like you said, for most of the year here at three o'clock, it started getting dark by four o'clock. It was dark, like fully dark out. And I felt like I would wake up and it was also dark. And then all of the sudden, like we just decided to turn the clocks and now it gets dark at like seven 30. And when I wake up, it's bright. I'm just like, my mind is blown. Like, what is the, do you, do you under, I feel like if anyone would know it would be you like, why what's up with daylight, daylight savings? What's I'm sorry. What's a conspiracy with daylight savings? I was going to say, there's a conspiracy. It's just like, uh, what is it? The Gregorian calendar? Like the calendar should be 13 months and 28 days. It, they're, how beautiful and perfect and well-organized like our world is, like 
they mess up with the calendar and they mess up with daylight savings. I don't know so much the conspiracy about it, but it also really bugs me having like seven to 10 calls a week. And then for two weeks, the U S go on daylight savings and we don't. And so yeah. that just drives me wild, but Sched- I don't, scheduling I don't know is tricky. So <laughs> it drives me crazy. Yeah. Um, dude, I also, you know, it, first of all, I'm so like, so happy that you're, this is like over long overdue for you to be on tallest podcast. And, uh, I was, it's that time of year. And for a lot of people, maybe won't know if you're a professional, you're going to know exactly what we're talking about. Um, and it's that time of year where like playoffs are just beginning. And I have found this time of year, the absolute hardest, the absolute most frustrating time to be in. Um, and I wanted to kind of like get the lowdown and explain to people what's really going on with you because, uh, especially I want, to, I want to preface this by saying especially and I think we maybe share this for me at least I, a lot of times I'm on a team that's in a good league that's just happy to make playoffs you know mm-hmm, I'm not playing mm-hmm, on the team mm-hmm. that's like supposed to win or top five um, and what happens basically overseas or let's just talk about this year in Poland is if you top there's what 16 teams in the league mm-hmm. okay 16 teams is it it's top eight run for playoffs and the bottom eight, well, the, the last team gets relegated, right? Last team gets relegated in the other uh, teams. Last team relegated, the 15th place team, they're done. And then the other six teams play for place. So eight, and, sorry, ninth place, 10th, 11th place, 12th, and they play for a place. And basically what that means is you play for nothing. Like it does nothing good for the club as a, as a like establishment. It does nothing for them other than it, I mean, what I'm trying to get to also is like, what is the point? Like, why why are teams playing for 11th place? Because as an athlete, what it means now is you're playing a game that doesn't matter and you have to stay in that country for another month, you know? Yeah, yeah I hate it as a competitor. Um, it's like, what's the point? You want to be in situations. I want to be in situations where I'm like, man, I don't know if we can do this. Like, these guys are playing so good. They're, they're so creative. They're now they're going short. He's going right. He's going left. He's so dialed in right now. How do we do this? And in these games, it's just like, whatever. It's like guys, guys have checked out. And then you can even say, I don't know if you want to get into this, when players sign contracts as early as December, guys start checking out. Because, and I don't say this to be malicious, but Europeans, they don't really play for the collective unlike americans where you and i both when we went to college we weren't the man we weren't starters we had to earn our way i had to call lines and um wipe the sweat as a red shirt and as a freshman i didn't play as a sophomore i didn't play and so just everything for the team and then eventually i got to play right um for professionals you just play for yourself and you just play for a contract and usually the contracts one at most two years And then that's the only thing you're looking to check off the box. It's not like I play for the collective. I play as hard as I can. I'm always coming to practice with an intention. It's like I'm playing with scarcity so I can get that next contract. And then once that contract is signed, you're like, okay. Dude, and I'll be honest with you, Dustin. I I love the, like, it's really interesting that your perspective is that, like, this is more of a European thing. And I do agree. I think for the most part, like, Americans' style is a little bit different. It's much more play for the collective, especially on the national team, I'll say. 
But dude, if I'm being like just completely honest, like I'm a fucking selfish guy sometimes, dude. Like, yeah, sometimes like I am playing for the contract and like it's only as of recent years, as I've gotten older that I've realized like those things will take care of themselves. You know, if I'm focusing on really doing the best in my position, like really honing in on my role, sometimes that role is a bit more of a leadership role. Sometimes that role is a bit more of just like, I need to make sure I'm doing my job role, you know? Um, but I also feel like, like you're, t you're telling me you never like, you don't get to, you weren't at a point this season where you were like, fuck these guys. I'm trying to just dime balls be a top five passer in the league and go get a baller contract. Yeah. I mean, you can game the system and this is what I've been talking with uh, about Mason. Mason's been doing a little more show and take and we're seeing right now in Gdansk, Luke Perry from Australia, he does a lot of show and take. So when you pass float service compared to jump service, you're going to pass about 20 to 30% higher. So that's amazing for statistics. Also, it just looks cool when you're passing two man sometimes and you're able to hide your outside hitter. So I'm like, Mason, this is something that's going to be very beneficial for you <clears throat> as you become a pro and how you can separate yourself from other liberos. This is very important, right? There's so many liberos, Serbian national team libero, Slovenian national team libero, like really good liberos, like can't get good contracts, right? A lot of top five uh, European liberos can't get good contracts. How do you separate yourself, right? This is a great way to do it. Um, also, you can kind of game the system by... You know, instead of playing like a Zaxa style where you're passing everything kind of off the net and just no overpasses, you can just like try and pass everything on the net. You're going to get more likely perfect passes or like these slashes where the European scoring a negative pass is a negative pass, whether it's seven feet off the net or an overpass, that's a negative pass, right? So you can play these games, but for me, it's just the effort and attitude that's a problem. And I think the, the reason why... Maybe we don't lack this as Americans is because we have to prepare ourselves for the national team. It doesn't matter what happens when we get back to the US, US gym. We need to be at a high level, right? Where I feel guys just kind of disconnect and they're like, rather than like going all in every single day, I'm just going to go 70% because I've signed a contract and I know where I'm going to be next year. Yeah. And I, I love, I love what you're saying and you're totally right. I just like, I, I kind of want to keep diving in on like the dirty truth of professional volleyball players, because I feel mm -hmm. like no one really talks about this and it's the same with statistics. I don't remember who I had on recently Lincoln. We were talking a little bit about statistics, but like, I think like, I find it, think about like how, like, how do you make a name for yourself? right? Like you can be best, one of the best liberos, but like, what does it take then to be like, Hey, I'm Dustin Watton. Check me out. Because like, I was thinking about this the other day because I was also frustrated with like trying to figure out contracts for next year and just being like, Oh, I was top five blocker. Oh, I was second in point scoring in the plus Liga. Like I should be getting some amazing contract on one of the best teams. And I wasn't. And I'm just like, the fuck is going on? And yeah. it made me think about like, if now put yourself in the shoes of like, you're a coach for, I don't know, one of those teams, or you're a president of one of these clubs. Like, do you think that they just look at the statistics? Do you think it's more of like household name? Like you're going to know who Bruno is or like Micah is it like, where, how do you think that they actually make decisions on, we want this player. We want Dustin Watton because a lot of times I have a feeling they don't fucking, they're not watching footage. You know, they're not like watch, they're not watching my best games. They're like, how tall is he? How high does he jump? What are his statistics? What like who is the guy? 
like I just that's just my feeling I don't know what do you think yeah I mean it's it's for me it was like what comes first the chicken or the egg because um for my first year after college I didn't get a contract I stayed in Anaheim and I was just setting the ball back and forth with uh another setter in the gym Tyler Hildebrand and just lift every day and it sucked I was like what happened to get me in here like why can I get a contract right and so the thought is like well my CV like your resume wasn't good enough. And I'm like, well, how can I have a good resume if nobody takes me? Right. So I was like in this like weird place where it, I was an all American in college, but only one time and nobody, no agents reached out to me. Right. And so first thing you you just have to start reaching out to agents. I think that's the big thing. If you're a first year player, you're not going to get a contract yourself. Like that's incredibly foolish to think. Um, And, but for me, that's kind of where nosy buckets came from because when I did get overseas, I was the best libero in Finland and then I didn't get a contract. So I had to go back to Finland and I was just like, what do I have to do? And so for me, it was just this thought, like I built a new Facebook profile, like aging myself, where it was just like Dustin Watt in USA. I built a new Instagram, Dustin Watt in USA. Um, instead of just watching my video, I would watch my video and edit it and throw everything online because I was trying to do any and everything just to get noticed so I can climb up the leaks. Um, but I think there's two parts. The, the two best things you can do is just absolutely dominate your league and absolutely dominate for the national team. That's really hard to do if you're a first, second, third year athlete, right? So it's almost impossible to have. So then is the thought of finding an af- or an agent that believes in you. And then even from there, it's really difficult. Who do you side with? Do you go with uh, an an agent who doesn't have a lot of athletes, but like is incredibly passionate, doing good work for uh, his athletes, but maybe doesn't have the best contacts? Or do you sign on with one of these mega agencies that has 500 athletes, but they work with the best athletes in the world and they have the best contacts? And so it's incredibly difficult. I don't know what the answer is, but one of the best things you can do is just consistently show up and be a great teammate because the coaches will have a lot of influence on your next contract, right? If you're a young athlete, a team that's looking to sign you, they're going to reach out to your coach or management and they're going to ask, who is this guy and how, how are they? Effort, attitude, stuff like that. Mm. And so I think that just consistency um, every day in practice, which, you know, it doesn't lead to you dominating, but I think it's just so important to have uh, that foundation of trust when another team's reaching out and dude i i really i want to die i'm gonna we're gonna dive so much deeper into no easy buckets into uh kind of like your history for finding contracts i really want to dive deep into that but i kind of wanted to start a little bit too with like the situation you're in now i feel like if you're if you're like down to just be like honest about the situation you've been in like from a libero standpoint i think there's like i don't know i guess like I, I would prefer you to talk about it if you're down. The only reason I really want to talk about it is because I think it goes to show like the incredible amount of resilience that you've built up over time. And I kind of want to dive into like, like how you've been handling this year's libero situation and like how you stay cool with what you're doing. Yeah. So you want me to tell what's going on with my team and everything? Yeah. You know, and I also think like, you know, for for you, you were telling me like, as of a month ago, you know, the other libero is like coming in to dig balls and now you're just basically receiving balls and you're just like, 
like I'm fucking bored, bro. Like, cause you're a baller receiver, but like, I couldn't imagine if I'm all the way overseas and now all I'm doing is receiving balls, you know, like I couldn't ima- imagine the, the mental challenge that, 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 that puts you in like the space that puts you in. And I just really want to know like how you've been handling that, you know? Yeah. So we'll go back to last year. So I played for this coach for a couple of years now. Um, he doesn't speak English, which is something that a lot of athletes are going to have to get used to. Your coach is not speaking English. Um, and so I played for him the first time four years ago. And a little bit at the end of the season, I was with the same libero. And they were switching us in sometimes as reception and defense. And uh, he's good. He's a good libero. There's no doubt about that. Um, and then last year, pretty early on, he made the switch. And I was like, okay like just trying to have a wider perspective and i'm like okay i can be a better defender right um and then it got to the point where yeah we were just losing a lot and i was like okay i i want to take control of this i want to get clarity on this and so i spoke with him i had our our physio translate um or sorry trainer translate and the coach is like, oh, your your stats are on the same. I think it's good for team chemistry if the other guy plays. And I was like, okay, well, I don't agree with that answer. That doesn't make any sense for me. But like, I understand and hear what he's trying to say. It's like, you need to be better. And he told me too, he's like, if, you, if you're better, you'll play. And so I put in some extra work because I was like, hey, I don't want to, I don't want to complain. That's not who I am. I don't want to gossip. I'm just, I'll put in the work. I'll be better. And for the rest of the season, I thought he did a really good job digging just as a reception libero. And to the point at the end where I was getting like really mad, I was like, oh, what's going on? Like, why am I not playing? Like, I'm doing a really good job. Ended up looking at stats at the end. And in the first half, it was right. Like the defensive stats, it was like 0.45, 0.42. I was ahead. And then at the end, it was something like he was like 0.41 and I was like 0.79. So like almost double. And I was like pretty pissed off um, because that was also the year I was coming back from the national team. And that's all I was percent, doing was digging something like this percentage. Um, yeah. I have it. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, but anyways, it was because like, also for those who don't know the liberos, you can have two liberos and they can just switch in and out whenever, right? Like there's no amount of times that you guys can exchange. Like it's just endless. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, exactly. We can move back in. And so I saw that and I was like, yeah, that's pretty frustrating. And, you know, the presidents and they're they like, we want you to come back. And I'm like, I don't want to come back. Like, yeah. I want to play. And they're like, oh, you'll play, you'll play, whatever, da, da, da. So I came back and I played like four games this year as a full-time libero and they made the switch again. And I was like, okay. Like, and I was just pretty fed up because last year I was the second best receiver in Poland. And so it was like, cool like i'm getting i'm doing a great job but i'm getting benched and so i was like i don't really agree with it but i accepted it last year and then ah, maybe it was my fault coming back just kind of understanding that the same other libero would be there and so it was the same thing this year and going in and out and this year i kind of like accepted it because last year there's a lot of times too where i would come out after like a big pass and i would come back come out and switch with them and my ego would just say something like that's crap or like you shouldn't be coming out or you know and i'm just like oh like just catching myself and sitting on the bench and just coming back to the breath 
but a lot of times it just like really fire me up because I, I want to play. I want to compete. Right. Um, and that's kind of what I told my coach the year before. I, I don't want to beg. I don't want to say, give me the position. I'm like, Hey, I think I'm a great competitor. I really think I can help the team on defense. What do you need from me specifically? You know, and really didn't give me an answer besides like, Hey, you can like win it back. Um, and so it was pretty frustrating to see the actual like stats from last year because our team wasn't good. We were like in 12th place and the coaches thought was like, Hey, it's good for team chemistry. I'm like, okay. And this year, um, kind of the same thing. And I thought I did a really nice job in reception this year. Probably not as great as last year, but um, if we look but at the still top five, baby, let's look at yeah, them. Top, I think I, my boy, right now, I think, I think my boy is I think, number four in the league. So number four, I think it's number three for Liberos. And the guys ahead of me talking about the show and take for float, the, the two guys ahead of me are Danini and Perry, who do show and take for floats. So we look at the stats. I'm guessing Perry probably has double the float serves than me, and Danini probably has like 30%, something like that, right? They're still probably passing jumpsters at a higher level, but yeah, that's where I am, you know? Um, and then recently, the I had like a neck injury, like just like to the point where like my neck was like knotted up and I couldn't look. And so I missed a couple practices. And then when I did come back, uh, I traveled for a game, more or less a must-win game. And then the coach really didn't say anything to me and I just wasn't starting. And I was like, okay. And then uh, our coach got fired after that. And then our assistant coaches got promoted and they spoke to me after the practice. And they were like, hey, our head coach didn't want to say anything to you, but we're going to say it. They're like, we want to work. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. You know, who who knows the sincerity? I think they're being sincere. Um, I hope. Still doesn't really matter. But they were like, hey, um, we're going to continue playing with the other libero because we want to help him get a contract. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, and I told him, I was like, I appreciate you, like, just telling me it. Like, again, I don't really agree with it, but, like, what can I, what can I do? And At so what point in the season is this for you? Where they're talking this about is it? like maybe, maybe a month ago. Hmm. So we still had to win these like three games to like, make playoffs. You guys were really close to making team, playoffs and for a team to lose and stuff like that. And I'm like, I don't get it. Like, do we want to make playoffs? Do we want to help someone? And again, too, like in the past with other liberos, with other second liberos, I've been in that position also with this coach that we had here where we're playing in these play out games. And I'm like, Hey, you can play the other barrel. Like it's fine for me, like to help him maybe get a contract or something like that. You can play him. And that coach is like, no, no, we're going to play you. We want to win. And so that was kind of frustrating to me too. And I don't know, maybe there's something else behind it. Like, I don't know. It's not my job to make assumptions or to get in this kind of conspiracy, conspiratorial mindset. Even though it is. So much. Fun I just found myself on the bench so cheering. You know, fans have reached out. Why aren't you playing? And, you know, I don't want to gossip. Only reason I'm telling you this is because the season will probably be over by the time uh, this gets out. Other players ask me too, why aren't you playing? And I just, you know, I, I don't really say anything because I don't want to gossip. But yeah, I mean, even to the point where last two years I've been the second best receiver in Poland, this year I'm the third best libero. And I'm just like, I find myself on the sidelines and it's just incredibly uh, difficult. Um, of course, when I go home and I can zoom out of all the stuff I'm doing with noisy buckets. Um, Wait, you know Dustin. What? It, it... Go ahead. 
No, I just really want to know, like, uh, you know, you are someone to me when I think of like your self-awareness or like what you represent, it's a lot of like stoicism. And I think you talk about a lot about it. You preach a lot about it. Um, and you find it, it's very valuable for yourself. And so my thought, my first thought was like, it's so nice to hear you like as someone to me that sometimes you're like, so stoically, like, how do I say this? it seems like your representation of how you are or, or how you exist in the world. You're just like so good at just like focus on what I can control moving on. And in some way for me, it's like so nice to hear that like your, e like your ego still exists, you know, that sometimes it speaks up and it's like, fuck this guy. I should be fucking digging balls. You know, like it's so nice for yeah. me to hear because, because on the outside, sometimes I'm like, damn, how is he able to like handle all these different things and stresses in his life? Like so stoically. Um, and so my thought is then like, so you find out all that's happening in the last month and you're kind of like, all right, let's just control what I can control. Like those it, days that hard, were really tough know, for you, like how do you handle that? In practice, in practice, I'm like, I'm going to dominate. I'm just going to absolutely crush it. And like the second team, we're going to absolutely ball out. That's it, right? Because I've been in this situation before. I was there in Berlin. It was kind of another weird situation. Uh, but I found myself on the bench. They brought another libero and I was like, this freaking sucks, right? And I went, I chose the hard path where it was anger, frustration, and resentment. And every day I came to practice and I'm like, fuck this, this is crap. And playing as hard as I can and yelling and sitting with my arms crossed on the bench. I should be playing. Oh, the other barrel sucking. Yeah, I should be playing. Uh, and it's just, it's, it doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help the team doesn't help myself and so that's not saying i still don't have these moments where i'm like this is stupid this sucks because it does happen especially in games where i'm like i'm not in poland for like to take money like i'm here to play i'm here to compete i'm here to do what i love and so it's incredibly frustrated frustrating but it's just awareness right the awareness begets change is my favorite quote where it's just catch myself just like kind of pouting or being angry or maybe being disengaged. And the question I ask myself is usually, what does my highest self look like at this exact moment? And then from there, it's like, it's usually just like take a breath or if I find myself on the bench, it's just clapping. And it's just like, we've had this conversation too, because like as a whatever, third, fourth, middle in the national team, as a second libero for the national team, it's like in a weird way, we don't really have that much respect. And that's not what we're playing for. But it would be nice, you know, once in a while, because I also play on like pretty average teams too in Poland. Like I don't get looks from the best teams. And so um, that could be kind of frustrating. And then being in these situations too, where it's just like, nobody said on my team, like, or like coaches are like, hey, you've had a good season this year. It's just like, hey, you're benched. And I'm just like, God, I'm just like, how does this happen? And there's that moment where it's just like the ego kicks in and it's like, this is crap. This is shit. It's not fair. And then I'm just like, all right, do I want to continue having these thoughts or do I want to choose another perception, another reality? And sometimes it's longer than the other, but usually as quick as I can, I'm just like, all right, how can I pivot? And then just trying to move my awareness to that of abundance rather than victim. And that's pretty much yeah. been my whole career. I would say yours as well is we just have to pivot, right? There's always going to be injustice. There's always going to be um, being left off the roster. I remember when I was left off the roster for George Human, and that's like 
for the national team for the finals. And that's like an easy 20K right there. And the ego was not feeling good at that moment too. Mm. But it's just like, what can you do? You got to keep on moving forward and understand that there's going to be a lot of decisions where maybe you can't understand or can't be justified, but those decisions are made and you can't take it personal and you have to continue working. Yeah. And I, I feel like it's so, it's so much easier said than done. And, and like I, this year has been really interesting for me personally, because my kind of like, I have like two, let's, I don't want to call them mantras. I feel like it's a very played out word, but like the things that stick in my head from this year first is like, uh, this idea of, I feel like I have all the knowledge, right? Like I love personally, like I love Alan Watts philosophy, stoicism, uh, like there's, there's, there's so, there's so much like Bruce Lee philosophy, like so much like Eastern philosophy that I've kind of, you know, accumulated into my self-awareness. And I'm, I'm someone who, um, I don't want to call it like a spiritual practice, but I really care about understanding myself. And I feel like I'm constantly, when I get in those moods where like my ego's flaring up, I'll like watch some video and I'll, I'll listen to Alan Watts at lecture or something and be like, oh yeah, like totally. Oh my God. Exactly. He's saying exactly how I feel, you know? And then like uh, someone knocks at the door and it's, it's time to go do something. And then I'm frustrated about this. And like, it's so hard to live that. And, and my, my thought now, and this is where the second thing comes in, I'm kind of rambling here, but like, is this thought of slow down because I'm, what I want to do now is take all this knowledge. And I think so much of us, when we have problems, we grow straight to like some YouTube motivational video and someone, I don't know who, who Jim Carrey or, or fucking Liam Neeson or someone gives like a speech at a, a college, you know, and you're just like, Oh yeah. You're like, mm, yeah, I totally understand. I feel that, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then the question is now, how do we apply that into real life situations? And I think someone like you and me who have, who have been practicing this type of, uh, let's call it, I don't know, type of living. I'm like fucking such a dull boy right now. Uh, but like this type of, of living and existing in the world of being self-aware and, and understanding when those things rise up. And I think volleyball is one, uh, definitely one place I go to right away where it's like, it's like pulls out my ego so much, like so heavily. And it's the real challenge of like, okay, you have all this knowledge. But now, how can you cultivate this knowledge and turn it into wisdom? And to me, the it's taking all the things you know and now applying them and now continually practicing applying those things. So now you don't just have the knowledge. It's like now it's actually a part of who you are and you're able to express that in the hardest times, you know? Like what things do you do to like keep working on that muscle? And the biggest thing is awareness and meditation. When I feel myself, maybe acting a fool or feeling resentful and angry and frustrated. I'm not meditating. Right. Um, and that's what I did in Berlin. <laughs> it was actually kind of funny. I started meditating for like an hour at times. And I, I came across two things. One, it was just like, Hey, this is going to pass and like, just be your best version and cut it with the resentment. And the other thing I got was like, I need to break up the girlfriend at that time. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. But just the clarity that deep meditation comes, uh, brings, uh, but it's just, can you, describe, right? can you describe that too? Like when you say deep, deep meditation, what is that? Is that sitting, listening to a mantra? Is that like a guided meditation? Is that you just like being quiet for, dude, I remember, cause you and I've been friends for a little bit. I remember when you were doing like really long like hour long meditations. And I, I try to do like, I'm working right now with a therapist to work on that, like to work on just 
quieting the noise and just listening to what comes up. It's so hard. Like I do 10 minutes and I'm like, I feel like I deserve a standing O, you know, like for all the, the silence yeah. that I just put myself through. But you were doing like hour sessions, right? Yeah. I mean, that's really so, putting the work in. Yeah. So when I first got to Poland seven years ago, I really had a big imposter syndrome. I was like, I can't do this. And at the time I was using this list was kind of like a, a habit tracker. And I was like, man, I'm super stressed, I'm super anxious. And so it was like morning, afternoon, evening, 20 minutes. And then after that season or close to the end, I put out something like on, I think, Facebook. And I was like, anybody know like any like meditation retreats? Because I was thinking like one of these like nice Mexico, cocoon, cocoon whatever <laughs> that city's called. Where cocoon, it's like, dude, yeah. Kind of like, kind of like meditation, but kind of like a nice little party too. And then uh, my buddy, CJ Macias was like, you should do a Vipassana. And I was like, what's that? So I looked it up and it's a 10 day silent meditation retreat. So 12 days total, you got four things you can do. You can walk, you can eat, you can meditate, you can sleep. There's no speaking, no eye contact, no phones, no computers. You have to give all these things in. You can't work out. You can't journal. You can't write. You just meditate for nine to 10 hours a day. So before that, I was using an app. I was using Headspace, which I think is great for beginners to have some type of external awareness, right? Where, because what's going to happen for younger athletes, it's like, I'm meditating and you're just like, you're just lost in thought, right? And then with the app, it'll be like, hey, just checking in on you, you know? Because usually you'll have like a task, count to 10, right. do this, whatever. And you'll just get lost in thought and you have no awareness that brings you back in, Right. And so after this Vipassana, I was like, okay, I don't think I need the app anymore. I think I'm pretty good to go, right? Uh, I think I've meditated so, enough for the year. <laughs> so it's pretty gnarly. Like there's a lot of different uh, great themes. Um, impermanence is, I think is the best one because of the pain from sitting, the equanimity from just sitting and not giving attention towards the pain or towards the joy. Because what happens is when you sit for that long you start having this like pure bliss um i forget exactly what it's called um but you don't want to attach yourself to either the joy or the displeasure right to sit in that equanimity right sit in that stillness and kind of finding other things in life that give you an imbalance music Dude, being can a you, great one can you Go talk ahead. me through like day one like what's day one you show up there and it's like you you're going from meditating on your phone for, I don't know what, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, let's call it an hour to now it's like 10 days straight of nine hours yeah. a day meditating. Like, bro, take me through, you sit down in silence. You can't talk. You, can you talk to people at all or not really? So yeah, first day. So I got to paint the picture. So first thing it's like, these centers are in the middle of nowhere. So in the California, they're like in, it's in the desert. Like there's nothing even close. I went to one in Washington. So it was like in a forest. You have to drive like 40 minutes from somewhere just to get there. So it's in the middle of nowhere, right? And so you get there uh, the evening before everything starts. You hand in your stuff. They have a meal. The people that cook are volunteers that have done it before. One of the uh, bigger themes or principles is service, right? And so people that have meditated before, they come back and they, they literally serve, right? So you have a nice meal and you're able to speak with people. And it was so funny because I was like, oh, this is going to be hard, but like I'm an athlete. We just have to like go through it and grind through it. And so it 
they kind of give you the rules. They're like, hey, no eye contact, no this, no that, pretty much nothing. You can sleep, you can nap. You have times throughout the day where you can meditate in your apartment, but also specific times where you have to meditate in the hall. You have to come. And one of the underlying rules is like, you can't leave. Like you can't leave because a lot of people want to leave, right? Yeah, I can imagine. And so the first day, let's see if I can remember. It's something like you're up at 4.30 and you meditate from 5 to 5.30. You have breakfast and then you meditate again. You have lunch, you meditate again. You have a time for a nap, you meditate. So it's... I think there's three sessions a day where you have to meditate as a group. And then there's three, two or three sessions where you can meditate in the hall or in your apartment. Um, and when it turns out to be, it's nine to 10 hours a day of meditation. And then they have a theme. They have a theme because to be a teacher, I, I forget exactly the rules, but they usually only find a teacher like every hundred years. And wow. so the the teacher was like, he did a class in Berkeley, like in 1999 or something. So we're watching that tape. And then there's like a, a male leader and a female leader. The sexes are separated by an aisle. You can't, you know, speak with them. You can't walk in the same side as them. Uh, but there's male and that female. Sounds like a middle school dance. Yeah. And you just meditate. And so the first one, first day, I was like, this is great. Second day, I was like, okay, this is like kind of hard, but I, I'm going through it. Um. And then I remember like the fourth day, I remember looking at the calendar and realizing it was the fourth day. And I was just like, fuck, what did I get myself into? Like, I can't do this because the pain from sitting is a lot. A lot of people, uh, they have these, it's called sankras, sankras. And so they have this like deep emotional pain that will come up through deep meditation, like deep, deep, deep pain that they've repressed. So I had a couple of these come up, but they weren't like crazy. One was like... Uh, like, I remember I farted in a hot tub when I was like 12 with like boys and girls and everyone knew it was me. And it was like this deep shame, like deep shame. And I was like, and you relive it. You relive it. Like the emotion what? is so intense that you relive the moment, right? So some people are like crying during meditation. Some people are yelling. Um, so you have these sankras, but they're kind of like these bubbles that pop up, right? And you like relive them again. Uh, so I had like three of these, but nothing was like crazy. Same and then I got to a point in that hot tub. <laughs> yeah. And I got to a point where you're not supposed to like research the Vipassana and what people experience it because then you have expectations, which the whole Buddhist sure. thing that creates your own suffering because you're sure. expecting something to come. Hmm. But I read that you're, if you do it correctly, you're supposed to have this like euphoric bliss. Right. And so like on day seven, I went to the teacher because you're not supposed to t speak with them unless for emergencies. And I was speaking, I was like, I don't know if I'm not doing it right because I'm not feeling this. And the suggestion was like, I had to meditate all throughout the day. Meditate, obviously the meditation, like really focus on the sensation of my breath. And you get, there's like different levels of meditation. Like the first is just focusing on your breath. Then it's a sensation above your lip. And then you do like this scaling yeah. of sensations. And then you just do like scaling up and down. And so- the teacher gave me that advice to like really focus on the body when I was meditating and then also to meditate while I was walking, meditate while I was eating. And then like, I think it was like the seventh day, 
And wait, Dustin, just to be clear, like meditating while you're walking, while you're eating, is that just like, like, let's take, for example, meditating while you're eating. Is that like mindful eating? Like you're like, yeah. you're, you're allowing yourself to taste, like, what does that actually look like? Deep, deep, deep awareness in the physical. And so it's like when you're walking and eventually I started teaching this too, it's like heel to toe heel to toe and just feeling like every movement and placing your awareness mm. with the eating it's like this feeling of gratitude and like the food coming in your mouth and like the nourishment that it's bringing you rather than like say the example exact opposite would be like on your phone and you're eating you're just like like mindful mindless right yeah and so just being incredibly mindful, of my eating yeah mindful and aware of like just each moment and so i got to the point where um, uh, there was just like this crazy, like bliss and warmth coming through my body. And I was just like, I could meditate. I felt like I was like in a bubble, like almost like a, like a go-to Dragon Ball Z bubble where I can just sit. And like, I remember hearing the bell where like the bell is like, okay, like you're stop meditating where in the past six days, the bell will come and my body would just be like, Oh, finally. I'm like, Oh my God. Or like, you know, 20, 30 minutes away from the bell. I'm just like, when is it going to ring? When is it going to ring? When is it going to ring? And that seventh day for, I think, three of the sessions, I was just like, sit there and like the bell rang. And I was just like, I, was, I wasn't going anywhere. It just felt so good. And so I remember wow. going to the teacher and telling him, I was like, hey, I experienced it. Da, 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 da. And it's like, all right, well, now you have to be aware of the equanimity in regards to this pursuit of an external feeling, right? Now mm. it's this pursuit of pleasure rather than pushing away this pain. And I was like, ah, oh. I was like, oh, it's starting to make sense, right? Because mm -hmm. I was craving something, right? Before I was craving not to feel the pain. And now I was like craving this pleasure. What was really interesting though, um, in the 11th day, when you could start speaking again to people, this dude was like, what happened on the seventh day? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I could feel you on my body. Because the guy was sitting to my left. He's like, I could feel, I could feel your warmth on the right side of my body. I was like, Whoa. And I was telling him kind of my experience. He was like, he was like, yeah, bro, I don't know what you're experiencing, but I could feel you on the right side of my body during the meditation. And so it was a really unique challenge. And I think from there too, it's just this thought that for me personally, there's so much about the mind body connection that has been left uh, unexplored. And so, and for anyone that's like loves meditation, loves pushing themselves, it's pretty freaking intense, but it's like, it's a pretty cool challenge. Yeah, I mean, you honestly got me like super hyped up to dive into that. I, I feel like, you know, like what's trendy now, like ayahuasca or like, you know, mush, like doing some big like doses and like uh, having a shaman and doing all these things. And I feel like meditate, like doing, I'm working right now with a therapist, like working through some of these things and, and what we're trying to work on, what I'm trying to work on with me, what I realized is I need to be good at slowing down which blew my mind because like you, I think like I pride myself on being like a pretty chill dude, you know, like I can kick it. dude. That's what I've been doing my whole life. Go to the beach, play volleyball. And what I didn't realize is that I think in some way playing volleyball and being so active, like we're so used to being ramped up all the time, like going to training. It's like, we're super focused on what we're doing. We're ramped up or ramped up. And then it's like, you should be recovering or you could, be, as you get older too, it's like, you should be working on no easy buckets. You should be doing this. You should be doing this. It's like, we're constantly like, boom, boom, boom. And as I've gotten older now, I'm like, oh my God, I can't just like watch a movie and enjoy a movie anymore. I can't just like 
go for a walk because I want to. I have a hard time just reading a book. I just constantly feel like I should be doing something active about it. And the irony I think that I'll come to find in my, in my journey now is, uh, <laughs> is that I'm going to learn so much from just being silent. So just listening to you say that, like, say that was like, oh, it's really, I think it's really powerful, like personally for where I'm at in my life right now, where I'm like, oh man, it sounds like I could really benefit from like really going farther, right? It's like I do a 10, like I said, I do a 10 minute meditation. I'm like, I did it. And I think for so many kids, like I wish this stuff would be, was being taught in schools. Like I wish when I played club volleyball, I knew a little bit about like some meditation, some visualization, because that stuff for me now is so powerful. And now that I've gotten older, I'm like, oh, I, I feel like I need to like take this even farther to continue to better understand myself. And so it sounds like from like you, you went pretty much as far as I, I personally ever could imagine taking it right now. I'm like, I'd love to just sit in silence for 30 minutes. You know, like that's my goal, but you've, you've taken it far, you know, and it sounds and like, that, it was and that's experience. the trick. I'm guilty of it too, but it's just like, everyone wants the easy fix. Like I want a dose of ayahuasca, like, or I'll do some DMT or I'll take some mushrooms. And it's like, boom, now I'm in the state who wants to sit still for right. 12 days. And usually, and the people that I met, it was a lot of addicts, hmm. a lot of addicts, some people PTSD or people that were just like really far on the spectrum of like mindfulness, right? So hmm. a lot of, a lot of successful people that had addictions and like, I think they're at such a low point of who they wanted to be that this was the only option for them to completely detach. Cause again, like, can you imagine right, right now, like, as you and I are kind of building our business, 12 days, not doing anything on our business. When we're wearing every hat, we're sending emails, we're sending texts, we're doing webinars, 12 days without doing anything. It's mm -hmm. crazy, especially too, because I think where I have trouble and you know, I'm, I'm not as mindful as I've ever been, not even close to it, is this ego trick where it's like, I need to work because I'm serving others. I need to do this. I need to serve others. Can't, can't not like do anything or read or meditate. I have to work to serve others. And this is like the ego kind of like manipulating me. And this mm -hmm. is where I'm having a little trouble with too, because it feels so good in the work I do and to get messages from kids mm -hmm. or coaches where it's like, you've helped me. And I'm like, yeah, so work more. And my ego is like, work, work, work. And I'm like, work, work, work. Whereas <laughs> the best thing I can do for myself for the collective, for my girlfriend is find moments of stillness, if not um, prolonged moments of stillness. Oh, buddy. It's so nice to hear, like, especially someone like you still struggles with like, like has gone through so much and still, it's like still goes to show the ego is just like constantly there. And like something I'm learning is like, is always going to be there. And it's just a matter of like, can we just be aware of when it's there and do we have the tools to then like just listen and allow ourselves to, and you know what, I, really quickly before I get lost here, I also want, wanted to know, like you talked about in that retreat that you're around like a lot of highly successful people, PTSD, addicts, like where do you fall in line there? Like, do you think, and this maybe I'm interested also a little bit in like your collegiate story, but like, how, have, how have you evolved? Like I constantly claim that I think I'm someone who has like a really addictive personality in the past in really unhealthy ways. And even to this day, like trying to find my balance of like healthy addiction and not, but I'm someone who takes things like to the extreme. 
which is why I have a, such a hard time being still, which I'm working on now is like, I'm either super high or super low. It's everything is super extreme. Like work, work, work. I want to do this thing. I'm going to be this. Or it's like, nah, nothing at all. Don't even like I, having a hard time just like finding that middle ground. And I'm really interested to know from you, like, where do you fit in that spectrum? You know, or, or like how, how, what's that evolution of Dustin Watton been like, you know? I've thought about this lately. I think I love to compete. I love to figure out things and to see if I can be the best. That's like proof in his Katan scorecard. I think that, that's something that drives me and, and being okay with not being the best, but then like figuring out a way rather than like, I think there's a lot of athletes in high school and NCA where they've always been the best. And it's kind of like this fixed mindset where it's like, I'm the best on the best. And when they're not the best, they're like, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. Hmm. And naturally, I think for me, especially as an athlete, I've never been the best very far from it, but I was like, kind of back, like, I don't know if it's the ego or whoever it is, but it's just like, kind of like this voice is like, but why not you? And I'm like, no reason why not me. Right. And so when I was younger, I think a lot of this came from insecurity of not having a lot of friends in high school. I didn't have a lot of friends. And so I wanted to prove something and to be the cool Wait, guy. Wait, really quick. Why? I feel like you're like such a friendly, easygoing dude. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so in middle school, I, middle school and elementary school, I think I had a lot of friends, but everyone went to another school and I went to this school. So my, my middle school, I want to say it was like ghetto, but it was very urban. Like I was like the only like white male in my grade. And then when I went to high school, it was Wait, like what? Where did you go to school, bro? <laughs> what? Middle school. So, wow. so I don't I don't know how to explain it, but it was like it was urban. But you know, like I w- I just happened to be like the only like white male. So a lot of my friends were uh, Cambodians, African Americans, Mexicans. My best friend was Iranian. My other best friend was like Japanese Italian. It's just really random. And then when I went to high school, it was like the bougie Long Beach high school. Um, and then also it was like a sh- extreme contrast where it was just like, you went, to, you went to Lululemon high or what, bro? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, everyone already had their clicks. It was like this other middle school called Rogers. And then this other like Catholic high school. And so I was just like the odd man out. Like I just didn't really fit in anywhere. And then after that, my freshman season of playing volleyball, it worked out for me. Right. Um, I know we've talked about this before in regards to personal preferences, not working out and for it to be the best thing that ever happened to us. Right. So I didn't really have a lot of friends or like great friends my freshman year, but, um, at the end of my freshman year, I started playing volleyball and I loved it. And that summer, all I did was play beach volleyball with my dad. So eventually worked out, but a lot of it was kind of like, I think through like a little insecurity where like, I want to show other people that I'm valued, that I'm enough, whatever it may be. Um, that also led to college and like drinking pretty hard, which I think is more or less normal for college uh, students, if not college athletes. But it wasn't because I liked drinking or I liked getting drunk. It was more so like, that's what I saw cool kids doing. And so I was like, well, if they're going to drink, I'm going to drink a lot. Hmm. And then eventually getting to the part um, outside of college where I was like, man, I'm not good enough to be the best drinker and the best volleyball player. And then slowly kind of seizing that. But just always, I think, wanting to figure out how I can be a little bit better and taking responsibility through that after dark moments of like, 
man, I suck. Or like, I'm not going to get a contract. And instead of quitting, I got a little bit more creative, right? And that looked at first reading more books, switching to a plant-based diet, which now I'm not doing plant-based, uh, learning more about meditation in Brazil, like wanting to quit volleyball and just being so depressed. Wait, Dustin, um, did you get like a, like a starter kit on Amazon? Like what even introduced like meditation, healthy eating? Like where was the introduction to all this? Uh, so it was like my second year in Finland, right? My first year in Finland, I balled out and, uh, I got best libero of the league. The second year I was like, okay, not only am I going to play great, but the team is going to play great as well. Right. So having this expectation and attachment to something I didn't have complete control over, I started to push more. I was too aggressive and I wasn't playing good. The team wasn't playing good. And I got to the point where I was like freaking out. I was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I was like the worst case, last case scenario, I called my mom and I was like, can you send me some books on mindset? Because at, at college, I don't want anything to do with school. I hated school. Yeah. And, uh, what did you so major in, by the way? Communications. Oh. Long story short, I wanted to do graphic design. Oh. I wasn't able to do that because I was a portfolio major. And so I just kind of like went to communications. But look at you now, bud. Come Speaking on. And listening every single day. Dude, actually that makes a lot of sense. Like your no easy bucket stuff is like, and I know you you work with some too, but like even the course we made together, like, dude, you're 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 crushing that. So that, I didn't I, I didn't like, realize I that like was rearranging things. My girlfriend says it in a nice way that I'm a dreamer. So I uh -huh. like I like graphic design. It's is more or less I'm not listening to her. That's like her <laughs> nice way of saying it. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh let's see. So second year, every year. Pretty much every other year, there was like a big theme of like evolution of like shedding a lesser version of myself and like evolving. And so um, that second year, um, I slowly started cutting computer games and started reading more. That's when I began the list. Um, the second year in France, um, I went plant-based and started taking a little bit more control over my diet, sleeping better. Um, and just being more mindful of what I was eating. Um, in Brazil, I was just like completely caught with my pants down mentally and like emotionally, and I couldn't deal with it. For those that don't know, Brazilians like a very cutthroat, um, we'll say sports environment. If you're not doing something well in America, it's like, hey, good try, bud. Like maybe next time, you know? And in Brazil, it's like, they just yell poha at you. And I just took everything personally. I was like, mm. they don't like me because I couldn't speak of anyone. Everyone speaks yeah. Portuguese. Don't No one speaks English. I couldn't really speak of anyone. It was the first time I wasn't hanging out with anyone. I had to like commute like an hour and a half to practice every day. I was playing with some of the best players to ever play volleyball. And I felt like they hated me. And they, you know, again, still, I was still very insecure about myself. And so I didn't know what to do. And I listened to a podcast about meditation. And I was like, all right, I'll try meditation because I just want to quit. So I started meditating. After that, I started to get, I went to France and I started to get more into, I guess you call spiritual texts and listening and reading Eckhart Tolle and just having like different perspectives on life and understanding my motivation. And from there, I slowly started cutting raging and drinking. I still have like a couple beers, but I slowly started cutting like raging. I'm like, why am I raging? Like, where does this come from? And this thought that like, I'm living my Monday through Thursday for a Friday and a Saturday rather than just like living each day because that's what I want and getting the most out of each day. The year after that, um, 
incredibly depressed and saddened after breaking up with a long-term girlfriend. My team was one in 19 in France. This was after I made my debut at the national team. I thought I had everything wrapped up and um, everything just came crashing to a halt. And I was just like, I'm going to quit. I called my agent. I was like, I want to quit. Get me out of here. He told me to hang in there. That next day I, I went to a cafe and started reading meditations by Marcus Aurelius. And again, it was just like, boom, like, every, like all the lights went on inside of my head. And I was like, man, I can't control my coach, my teammates, the situation, my relationship. It's not completely my control, but like going back to these habit trackers that I was still using, I was like, I'm not really doing a good job with this. Some weeks I don't even do it. And I was just like, why don't I just start committing all my energy and intention to the habit tracker. And I'll see what happens from there. And everything started changing. That was like, became the best day ever where, you know, the routine was clear. I wake up, I make my bed, I meditate, great breakfast, great coffee. I go work out. I would do my conditioning. If, uh, if my coach didn't want to wait, cause he was my drive at weights for me to do my conditioning. Cause that was leading into the 2016 Olympics. And I was like, I got to do everything I can. I would go in the park it was like one or two degrees Celsius and do my sprints. And I just took control over the things that I knew would help me be my best version as an athlete and as a human. And nothing changed outside of me. The coach was a dick. My teammates were really not, mm, we'll say committed to being the best, their best selves. The Wait, where were you that in France? I was in Nancy. Yeah, I can confirm, dude. French people are so like, long story short, it, right it now, was a dude. B team. It was like a B team playing in the A. And so we just got whooped every single game. Uh, but everything changed because everything changed within me rather than me being so vulnerable on the things that I needed to happen outside of me. Right. And even as professional athletes, where we are right now, you know, talking about my situation, things outside of me is not in alignment to my personal preferences. I'm not playing yeah. defense. I'm not playing reception. I'm just sitting on the bench. And yeah, if I want that to define my happiness, then I can, and I'm not going to be very happy. Instead, mm. it's just like, okay, I'm going to meditate more. I'm still going to get the extra reps. And like, I'm going to be on the second team and I'm going to push the first team because even though it, it like, it, it really bugs me right now, it's like in a week, in a month, in a year, I'm not going to think anything about it, but it's more important how I deal with this situation, how I show up. And so that was in France. And then from France, I went to Poland. And now I'm in Poland. I'm in the freaking Plusliga, where volleyball is on TV at that season every other day. I'm a celebrity in this city. It's amazing. I was really nervous about my level being good enough. But I had all of these routines in place, right? Uh, if I didn't go through that year in Nancy, I wouldn't have been ready for Poland. And so my, my technical level wasn't good enough. But I was doing a really good job meditating, getting extra reps every day, watching video. And then in my second year, I started to start changing my game because I was like, man, I'm really not good enough to be in this league. And so I started like really studying video and like changing a lot of things that um, were taught to me in the USA system. But none of these liberos were doing, for example, standing still and serve reception. You don't see anyone do that as a pro. And so trying to teach myself how to split step, which went terribly wrong terribly wrong. It took me like a year and a half to figure it out. Uh, but taking more uh, responsibility over my game rather than just being like, no, oh, I guess I'm not good enough. Taking more responsibility over my game, slowly started writing about it. And um, 
yeah, just every year, just trying to find a, a different way Let me- to evolve and to shed a lesser version, right? Throughout yeah. that time, I forgot to mention, throughout that time, I started cutting video games. I started cutting fantasy sports. I started cutting, watching NBA, NFL. I started cutting partying, staying up late. All these things to add, to add these things to my life, I had to cut something. Let me, let me ask you, dude, because I, first of all, it's so fucking cool. I'm so, I, I, I don't know how many people, how much people know about you, but hopefully this is really insightful because you still inspire me just like listening to you talk, dude, honestly. Oh. I, I feel really lucky to have a friend like you who also uh, can talk about these things, you know, and, and has gone through real struggle and, and come through such a better person, like such a, a more evolved, you know, individual. And my thought is like, I remember that time period where you were like, highlighting all the things on your list and checking your list and like doing, making sure you were controlling everything you could control. Now we flash forward. I don't know how many years that was ago, like eight years ago or something, or Mm -hmm. like seven years or something like that. And now like, how do you manage? Like, did it get to a point where it was like overwhelming? Like we see this with diet a lot, right? Where people are like, they just eat kind of what sloppy, whatever. And they're like, all right, I want to clean up my diet. So they go straight to like, I'm going to choose a vegan diet and they go straight from just like kind of eating whatever to vegan diet and maybe it works for like a month and then it's just like yeah. not sustainable and so i'm curious like now that you had that experience and i think we were all similar in that way because you have that competitive drive you were able to like stick to the script on that for a long time and now that you've gone through that and, and i know you don't you don't do the same list exactly like you did seven years ago how do you manage like being strict with Hey, I need to right now I need to control what I can control. And also just like this is also sustainable for long term. Like what, what did you what were your your findings from that? Like obviously, if you can stick to it, it works. The same with a diet. If you can just stick to a diet, it works. But how do you manage now, you know, seven years down the road? Does that Maybe, make sense? Uh, can you go, can you hear me? I'm gonna go tinkle real quickly and I'll come answer that. All right, go tinkle it up. Also, I don't know if you drink Dustin's drinks coffee anymore. We're drinking coffee, you guys. I'll tell you this, you know what I learned yesterday? Um, I didn't have coffee yesterday and I got a headache. And I feel like a lot of times when I get a headache, I'm like, is it, did I not drink enough water? Like, is it, what is it? And then I just didn't drink coffee yesterday and I started getting a headache in the afternoon. And I don't know if that's why, I don't know if any of you guys have that same experience um, for those of you who are like blindly addicted to coffee like I am. I'm actually drinking less and less of it. I have like a cup a day, which is like pretty, pretty sustainable. I feel like, um, but I got a massive, massive headache and almost made coffee at like 8 PM because I was like, I, I am tired of having a headache, but I didn't do it. Your boy pushed through it. And we made a little coffee. We doubled down today. Um, but I also feel like now that I've been drinking less coffee in some way, it's like, so me up, I think to best jittery. answer that question. Sorry. So I was talking about coffee, which by the way, side note, uh, do you still drink, do you still drink coffee at all? Yeah. All right. Way too much. I know you were the, the matcha daddy, the matcha man for a long time. So I was, and it's, <laughs> I'm really good not drinking coffee cause I just won't buy it. But now I have like a espresso machine, like built into my kitchen and I'm just like, it's just bad. But that's, just, that's nature's way, dude. Just adapting to your environment. <laughs> Um, so I think we have to get clear on this thought of like, there's, there's two different types of athletes. There's like, 
and not taking anything away from him, but there's like a Taylor Sander, right? Like you can't lift, you can't train. You're not going to be like Taylor Sanders. Or I remember when I was watching Reed pretty in the gym, it was like a ball that was like 20 feet off the block and he ran and like scooped it and dove. And I was like, I went to AB, which is our physio for the national team. I was like, how do you train that? And he's like, something, he says something along the lines like, come on, kid, you can't train that. You're born with that. Something like that, you know, mm. where obviously Taylor and Reed has worked really hard to get where they are. But like you and I, we are not those athletes, right? We're not just like, that's the guy. Like I remember watching Taylor bounce a ball when he was like 17 in the ASC. And I was like, okay, that's pretty impressive. We weren't that guy in high school or in college or our first couple of years in pro where people look at him like, that's the guy. That's the guy that's going to be on the national team, whatever it may be. Right. Hmm. And so for 99.99999 people listen to this, like to be successful, you need discipline and you can't just do it on the days that feel good. Right. I have complete and unwavering faith that you can be great if you understand the concepts and the principles and you work on it consistently and you sacrifice things that are pleasurable in your life from a young age or even when you're starting in college, you can do it. But not a lot of people want to do it. Not a lot of people want to put money down in their name to do it. Um, so I think the biggest thing is discipline where it's like, when I first started doing this in Finland, I was like, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get another contract. My seat, my career is over. Right. And so still there would be weeks where I look on the wall and it was like only four things when I started, it was like reading, stretching, working out. And it was like something like doing pushups in between playing Dota, which is like the old league of legends. Cause I love playing computer games. Right. And there would be times where I look up at that list before the game and it would be like, I only did like 20% of things. And I went to the game and I'm just like, uh Oh, like here, I'm not prepared. Right. And then there'd be times where I'd go to the game and like 90% of things were checked off. And I'm like, yeah, let's freaking go. I'm prepared. I did what I knew would help me be as most as prepared and confident to dominate this game. And then throughout the years, it's just continue to evolve and just asking myself, like, what does my best version look like? Right. My best version looks like waking up and meditating, journaling, eating clean, not ordering out, getting extra reps. Go ahead. No, I just, I, do you, do you start getting like addicted to that? Because as you're, as I'm hearing you talk, it's like, it's like you finally had that kind of like aha moment, like what happens when you really go all in on yourself. And for me, it was getting kicked off uh, Hawaii for the second time and like, or second time in the NCAA career, like getting kicked (laughs) off a team where I was finally like, oh shit, I thought it was do or die before. Now it's like, will I even survive? And so I was absolutely forced into like, I'm going to train so hard. I'm going to sleep nine hours. I'm going to double down on all these healthy habits. I did. I saw the success for me also from a physicality standpoint, like I lost 20 pounds, started seeing my abs. I started jumping higher. I mean, my claim to fame is like, I I added 11 inches in my vertical in six months. Like I I just blew, I, I couldn't even believe what was possible. And I was like, oh, you can be built. And once I got a taste of that, it was like, I just wanted, I wanted the smorgasbord, you know? So did you have that same kind of feeling? Once you got that taste of what it was like to like really go all in on yourself, you got addicted to that feeling of like, oh, now we're seeing and feeling the success every day. This is so worth it, you know? Definitely a lot of these, I would say evolutions came through like a darkness, right? In Finland, realizing like, man, I'm not going to get a contract. A couple of years later in Brazil, where it's like, 
I suck and people and everyone knows it. Going to France, my team's one in 19 and I want to quit. Like all these things happen through like a moment of kind of scarcity and just this thought where I'm just like, I'm not going to quit. And I think a lot of people get to that situation and quit. Like, I don't know what it is about me. Again, I think a lot of it comes from insecurity, maybe not courage, but I just don't quit. I get creative and I get more intentional. And, um, but it was, I don't think it was ever this thought of, oh, I see it and I feel it, but I've just always had this belief where I'm just like, why not me? Why can't I figure it out? And I remember when I was younger in the national team gym, watching Eric pass, I'm just like, damn, he's so much fucking better than me. It's not even close. I was like, but, but then I thought about it. I was like, but why not me? It's just passing. I'm not jumping. I'm not hitting. It's just passing. Why can't I be as good as him? And then I saw him like passing the other balls. I'm like, I, I can't be as good as him, you know? And so it's just like this curiosity where it's just like, man, there's always a way. It's like this American dream, right? If you can work hard, you can figure it out. But for me, it's like working hard with intention and being resilient when you have setbacks. And I think for you, it's the same thing, right? Like, I remember when we were talking about in France, and you're like, oh, dude, I just want to freaking play in a better league. I know I can do it. And I'm like, I know you can too. And then you get into Poland and you get hurt. And you're like, God, oh, man, I just want a year to show myself. And then you get this year. And for those that don't know, you were just elected as the best middle in Poland. So I think it's just this thought of just being resilient. Like, you got to be resilient. You can't just work hard, train hard and compete at a high level when things are going well. Mm. And that's where we kind of differentiate ourselves from Europeans because they start playing pro when they're 18. Some as Liberos when they're 16, right? And yeah. so we just have to be more resilient than others. And through that, that art of getting up, we have to be, we get to be more creative and more intentional with our next step. You know, I, you, you brought up a really interesting point too. And I, I've had this conversation before where it's like, when I think of a lot of like European players as well, like when I think of American style and I talk with, about this with our coach, who's now the assistant coach on the national team, Javier Weber, where he talks a lot about like, he's like American style for him is more like methodical. Like we're, we're, we're very self-aware. We're thinking it's, we're not afraid to like talk about how we feel. Whereas like Argentinian style or Brazilian style, let's say is like, shut the fuck up and work, dude. Yep. You got weights mm -hmm. at seven tomorrow. It's at six, you know, like no one, like no one seems to, uh, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I feel like, and I'm generalizing a bit like European volleyball is not as mindful it's, or, or let's say South American or whatever. Like it's not as mindful and it's more just like shut up and work. And then our American style is more like being mindful, expressing. And it's, this is not the case all the time, but let's say professionally, at least like a lot of the American professionals I know are very like mindful and hey hey let's figure this out let's let's solve this problem or whatever where a lot of my experience with european players has been just kind of like everyone talks shit in the locker room no one says anything to the coach and everyone just like shows up and does their job and just like works and like you know like this balance between uh like I, i've had this thought process of like what is better you know like in my mind obviously like being mindful is so much better but i mean i guess the point is like 
it also comes with a lot of work. It's not just like to you, I'm sure you, you experienced, like, it's not like, it's just like you meditated one day and you're like, Oh, this is the way for sure. Like being mindful is also, that's why you have to work through so much. Cause once you're, once you actually start to begin some, like develop some self-awareness, it's self-awareness in all aspects of you, not just the like, let's control what we can control. Does that make sense? Or am I just like absolutely losing you right now? Ah, the, the game and the world is changing, right? You know, when you hear people talk about old school, I was in the gym the year after the U.S. national team won the gold medal. That group of guys was gnarly, yelling and screaming at each other. Mm. And I know the current national team staff didn't want that, right? I think there's a balance though, right? And I talk mm. about this a lot. I think Thomas talked about this with you on your podcast, right? Where it's just like, man, we can't talk about our feelings and like stuff like this, like during training. Okay, maybe we want to have meetings and stuff like that. Get it, get it out of your system, what needs to be said. But like on the court, you got to hold guys to a standard and you For have sure. to push them and you put them in an uncomfortable situation by maybe yelling at them sometimes. Hey, what are you doing? You're not covering. Hey, what are you doing? You're not going for the ball. Hey, what are you doing? That, that free ball needs to be perfect, right? I think these, this is acceptable, right? In pushing guys to be at a high level or the European, whatever, like Brazilian way of yelling at each other. But like you have to solve problems with being mindful and having intention rather than just like, go, 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 hit the ball, die, die, die. You know, like that's not yeah. like a way to do it. Or what we're seeing in the best European teams where it's like, I've heard Javi talk about this. It's like, you're not in a good situation. You play block cover. Or the rule is you'd never swing at the middle blocker in high ball. This is being intentional. This is being mindful, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so I think there's a balance. But as competitors, you have to play hard. You need to be uncomfortable. That you have to have a framework and like a standard in what you're doing. My team, we don't have any of that. It's just like, go play. And like a guy will swing as hard as he can on a high ball and low and get a kill and everyone will laugh. And then he gets blocked four times in a row and nobody says anything to him. Mm. It's like, this has to be fixed, right? Mm -hmm. This is fixed with like, like intention and having a mindful approach that we don't do this on high balls, right? Or we don't pat, we don't give free balls to the other libero. We don't roll shot to the libero, like things like this. Like you have to have a framework as a program, as a coach, or even as athletes, we were in a game this year and we were serving Mauricio. Like, this is not mindful. We're serving the best, in my opinion, the best outside hitter in the world. And uh, he was passing 90% positive, which the best passer in Plus Liga passes 56%, 90% positive going in the fifth set. And we lost the point against one of the worst teams in Poland and we missed the playoffs by one point, right? Wow. You have to have intention going into games, right? And so, I think there's a balance of both. I think you should definitely be able to get on guys. This is my style and Thomas as well, um, that you get on guys for effort and attitude mm -hmm. or you declare a standard, right? You can't roll shot to the libero and one five times in a row. And everyone's just saying like, okay, well, that's fine. How do you feel about it? It's like, no, man, you can't do that. Our team, our standards much higher. The other team can't side out at this percentage. And by serving this guy, we're going to help him side out at a higher percentage. Mm. That makes sense. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. And you're right. I do remember now having that conversation with Thomas and I, to your point, I do think it's a, it's having the balance between the two and knowing the time when to have that talk outside of practice in a coach's office. Like that was a huge lesson for me. It took me so long to figure out 
uh, which was like, I don't agree with what the coach is telling me. How do I approach him and try to better understand uh, his point of view and for him to better understand my point of view and for us to have a problem and find the solution. And I think also like it builds so much. I think it builds a lot of respect yelling at each other, dude. Like if it comes from a place of like really loving, like, Hey, this is what's best for the team. This is how much I care, you know, as compared to like, if you're just laughing it off, whatever it's cause you don't give a shit, you know, mm-hmm. or you're just like, ah, that's like his problem. It's like, I'm just doing my job. It's like you, if you, Yelling is caring, dude. I guess you know that's what I'm learning right now. Like, for, for example, like guys that would get on me, Kavika, Thomas, and Lotman. Guys, they you got on me because they cared about me, and they mm-hmm. and they cared that for me to improve would be better for the team. I know it wasn't selfish or self-serving. Like they got on me, and I was like, "You're right. I got to pick up my game." You're right. I got to go for that ball. You're right. That free ball needs to be perfect. And it's like for the collective, I think you need that. You need to have some grit because when you get into those games, you're going to be uncomfortable. Right. Mm -hmm. And to have that trust with your teammates where it's like, Hey man, we've already been through hell in practice and like, we're ready to go. And that's one of the big things. Um, when I played at Long Beach state, uh, Alan Knight was like, Hey, we're going to train fast. We're going to train hard. We're going to be really uncomfortable. And so when you get to the game, everything's going to slow down. Yeah, and I I got nothing else to say about it, dude, because I just think it's it's fantastic. And that's and and finding that balance and and I think this is a part of the beauty of getting to play professionally and having so much experience is like we've learned so many lessons. We've learned what kind of sports cultures work really well, which ones don't. We you've played in Brazil, you've played all around the world, so you get to learn different styles and approaches to the game to ultimately cultivate your own. And so here's what I like to do. I'm going to get out my, I'm going to get out my glove. I'm going to grab this ball right here. Why don't you get out your bat for me, Dustin? Do you mind? I'm going to give you a, a nice <laughs> little underhand pitch here. You ready? Go and grab that bat. Loft it up to here. Go ahead and <laughs> sit down the park, dude. All right. Hey, here's what I honestly want to talk about now uh, is no easy buckets because I feel like now in seeing how you've evolved, it's been like you went through, such a hell of a crazy journey and learned so much. And now it's like your time to give that back to the younger generation that in America needs it more than anyone else. In my opinion, Um, we have no professional volleyball. They're working it on the women's side, on the men's side, like we'll see where it goes. Um, But like, there's no high level volleyball for kids to have idols to look up to, um, for them to like really learn from pros, like, like something I started learning when I started getting into some of this was like, there's thousands of coaches out there who have virtually no high level experience and no high level experienced players are like really giving back and teaching. I shouldn't say no, there are some out there, but if we compare it to how many clubs and teams are existing in, in the United States, it's not enough to really push the culture of volleyball. And you are the absolute inspiration. You've inspired me so much, have helped me so much in, in wanting to really give back. And now I kind of feel like as I get older, I'm like, Oh, I've had my like selfish moments, let's say, and now it's like, oh, let's start giving back. And you're, you, you've you been doing that. I think you're building such an amazing uh, culture with no easy buckets. So I just want to know, like, how has that process been? Like, where did you come up with the thought of like, all right, I think it's my time to give back and build something cool. Like, how did that all develop? First off, thank you. Uh, and yeah, really inspired what you're doing as well. 
Um, but uh, yeah, it all started three years ago where an old teammate of mine, like just like invited me to lunch. And I was like, what does this guy want from me? Cause he, he was a very clever character in college. And like, he was like almost to the point of like bullying me, but for fun. And so I was like, let's see what this guy has to say, which is Kevin, which is both Taylor and I's uh, personal coach now. And so he was like, what are you doing if your audience right now? You have an amazing audience. It seems very genuine, sincere. What are you doing? What are you selling to them? And I was like, I'm not selling anything. Like, I don't want to sell anything. He's like, well, what do you want? Kevin's a really smart guy, really good at his words. He's like, what do you want to do? Did you play with him, by the way? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's a smaller middle. Oh, okay. Well, that I knew, but okay. So uh, he was like, what do you want to do with your audience? And I was like, I'm just, I just want to give out value, like free content value. I don't want to sell them anything. And he was like, well, what if you did things to make them more likely to put in the work and for the stuff that you put out to be of more value for your audience? And I'm like, oh, that's pretty smart. And I was like, yeah, right. To have more value, to be them more likely to put in the work and to, to experience those wins, like, yeah, that would be pretty good. And then we kept on talking. He was kind of mentioning, like, I do one-on-one consultancy. And so maybe three or four months later, I reached out to him and I was like, all right, like, let's try it. I'm open because I think what I do really well, it's not passing. It's not digging. It's just like observing. Like I just observe, right? I spent a lot of years in the national team gym, never playing. I spent six, I think six and a half years before I started training with the first side. So I just watched how guys trained. I watched how guys acted. I watched seeing guys at the end of their career falter in the agony of them like their body not working and their mind working really well. And then I saw guys leave uh, the national team and just see them like at a lesser self, right? And so I'd always like to ask the question when guys quit the team, give them a couple months and I'm like, hey man, how's everything going? And they would say, well, I miss the game a lot. And uh, like, they always be like, you gotta have a plan. Got to have a plan. Got to have a plan. Everyone I talked to, got to have a plan. So at this moment, I think I was 31, 32. And I'm like, well, eventually, like, I'm going to stop. And so I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Maybe at that moment, it was like something in mindfulness. I don't know if I wanted to coach, maybe. And so working with Kevin, uh, I was like, let's start creating a plan. And so the first thing we did was just like getting clear, like, who's my target audience? And more or less, it was like a 15-year-old version of myself. Like someone that just started playing volleyball, but freaking sucks, but loves it. Doesn't really have a great coach. Doesn't really know if he can play at the next level. Just freaking loves playing volleyball. I was pretty lucky because, again, I had my dad who was a teacher. We could play beach volleyball every day in the summer. And I was able to play club volleyball and eventually had some pretty good mentors and coaches in club volleyball. Not everyone has this luxury, right? And so that was my my first exercise. And then from there, it was like, create a product. And the first thing I did was like an emotional intelligence journal. So I created like a daily journal in morning intention, evening recap, and 21 articles on mindfulness and how it relates to sports. And I worked like six months on it. And I sold like 200 journals. And I was like, 
damn, I just wasted so much money on this coaching job. Because <laughs> at the time I was paying this coach like half my salary. And I was just like, what am I doing? Like, this is, I'm such a failure. But I just kind of stuck with it. And then I started writing about passing. And as I was writing about passing, I was studying just a ton of video, right? Because I was writing about what I knew, but also I wanted to offer different approaches to the game, right? With the split step, uh, one foot, two foot, starting in defense, arms down, arms out to the side. And by watching all these different athletes and seeing all these different approaches to the game, I also started figuring out some things that I wasn't doing. I've never been taught. I've never been heard of. And I started implementing that and I started getting better. And so two years before I was in the Polish league and I was 22nd in reception, I believe. And that year at the end of the year, I was like fifth. And I was like, Oh, this is interesting. I started to get like more confident in the, like not, 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 not only more confident, confident, right. As a professional libero playing in the highest leagues, like you can't really get confident, right? Mm. It's just like always like scarcity because at best you're passing like 50% positive. Mm. Half the balls you pass are positive. So I, for the first time in my life, I started to get really confident. So I write about digging and then brought you in, brought Carly in. And I just got so excited in this thought of serving my younger self and finding that athlete that's like loves volleyball, maybe a little insecure, doesn't know they can do it and just finding them and giving them no excuses. doesn't matter if you're from Arkansas or you from Indianapolis or you're playing in Salt Lake city where boys volleyball isn't a high school sport. It just got approved, but giving them all the tools that I have that I am using and operating with as fast as possible. Right. Because probably what you found, it's like the best athletes, they don't really care. They're already the best. Right. And that's not necessarily who I want to find. I want to find like the young Dustin one, the young Taylor Averill, like the skinny, tall middle who like is just trying to figure out how not to spatch balls or the libero who can't really play any other sports, but he found volleyball and he loves it and wants to be better, but doesn't really know how because of these old and tired out mantras of early platform or don't move your feet, which I found out like don't really work. Mm. Right. And so I just started becoming so passionate and so excited about serving this younger 15 year old version of myself and figuring out how I can serve at the highest level, how I can create content that they can absorb better. And it's just become such a passion of mine. And to the point where now I'm looking at maybe not signing a contract next year, because it's just so fulfilling to do the work I do and to use all these years of in quotations, suffering overseas the lessons i've learned and to repurpose that into writing into video into courses into the libero academy into building community communities online communities uh, on site we'll be doing more physical clinics and then bringing in some of the best athletes in the world also athletes that think of the game in a very intentional way so they can offer their journey as well and so I'm just really excited about, um, I think, filling a void, which is a younger perspective into the sport of volleyball. Doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean it's wrong. But there's clearly a very older take of the game. And the game over the last three, five, 10 years has changed a lot. A lot. So much. Just as it's yeah. changed from the 80s to the 90s, 
in 90s to 2000s. And so just sharing what I've learned and, uh, and trying to fill the void of celebrating volleyball athletes, right? The stuff we do on Noisy Buckets, like it brings no financial backing to me at all with uh, throwing the schedules up, throwing the results, putting up a ranking, doing top five. I just want to get kids pumped that they play volleyball. They should be proud, right? When I was younger, I wasn't proud to be a volleyball player. Like at my school, like kids made fun of me. Oh, you wear spandex, haha. And like, I wouldn't wear my volleyball shirts around because it was like Hawaiian flowers and it was like really dorky. And I, I didn't feel proud to make it, right? And so just finding ways to invest in power and to celebrate the next generation of athletes for them to be proud of playing a sport that they love and creating different events, courses, academies to help them go step-by-step in turning that passion into a more comfortable and confident version of themselves. Uh, Dude, I'm, I'm really interested to know like, what are what have been like the biggest hiccups with this? And like, For example, there's, it's clear to me, like the good, right? Like in working with kids one-on-one and like coming, building a community, dude, when someone sends me a DM and they're like, I love the podcast or like, dude, this, like, if you talk about split step, we also talk about split step, middle blocker Academy, you know, like it's helped me so, it's helped me so much close faster to the pins, like, like kids and coaches who get excited about it. It is just like direct fuel straight in my rectum, like straight to my fucking head, you know, where I'm just like, this is amazing. This is why you do it. Like that part is so clear to me. I want to know from you, what have been the, the hiccups with like, and I think you and I've talked a lot about this with like some of the ego, like old school ego that goes on in American volleyball when it comes to like, I've, I've dealt with like coaches specifically who are kind of like, why would we, why would we hire a, a professional when like we have this guy who played, you know, two years in Sweden or like he's on the VLA or like, you know, it's just like people don't have an understanding of like the best leagues in the world because we're so disconnected from it. And then also I'm interested to know what your process has been like in communicating with some of these coaches where you get some coaches who are super open-minded and like, yeah, we want you to bring value to our kids, obviously, because who the fuck else is doing this? Nobody. And then still getting like some pushback or like it's too expensive or it's too much this way. Like that's gotta be so frustrating. So I want to know, like, how have you been navigating, like introducing something to American volleyball, which in my opinion is very new, which is online academies, which is professionals finally working, getting a chance to work one-on-one with the next generation. Like what, what are the hiccups been? I think the biggest hiccups is, is finding ways to expand, investing in it and those failing. Like Mm. figuring out ads last year, just like absolute failure. Uh, I'm doing (laughs) another thing with this, uh, this group that like automates funnels and it's just like, maybe it doesn't work. Right. And just being maybe I think too optimistic in, in trusting my business over to services and not working out. And that's just like super deflating because like you said, the feedback has been really good. Um, People don't tell me face-to-face that my stuff sucks or they don't like it. But for example, one of my contacts at Adidas, I remember he mentioned like in passing how a, a club director is like, who does this guy think he is? And I think that kind of hurt a little bit because um, 
easy for me to say, but my intention is not to be powerful, not to be financially like out of control. It's just because I really love helping. And a lot of it's just like, Hey, there are some concepts that you can go this way. You can go that way. I'm going to give you both. But like these principles are like pretty clear. Like we want to create space. We want to get to the ball faster. We want to contact the ball outside of our body. Here's the ways to do it. So I believe a lot of the stuff I'm teaching um, is pretty clear in regards to um, the correlation to success, right? And um, I don't know. I think not necessarily the hiccups, but connecting with club directors that are extremely passionate about investing in their kids in paying this money in doing these things and running these clinics and having these club partnerships and to see it work for them is like, it just blows away everything else, right? To be able to do that at a high level. Cause you know, both you and I, we work with one-on-one clients and it's great. Like they're, they're going to get better. This is great, but it's like to have this bigger effect. And so I don't know, there's, there's going to be people and they can have whatever perception they want of me. I know where my perception lies. It's in the heart. I sincerely want to help people who are ready to take more responsibility coaches directors athletes um i know where my heart lies i know how hard i've worked i know how much video i've watched i know how much i've written how many times things i've created haven't worked and how much i've invested in myself like i've invested a lot of money in my belief that i can help younger athletes right same thing what you're doing you know with the stuff i'm doing with kevin um, working with mindfulness coaches, buying sessions with other, um, I would say successful thought leaders and just seeing how I can learn. So I've under, I understand, and I know how much I've invested in my belief that I can help other people. And I just know that people are not going to perceive me how maybe I would hope to, and that's okay. Because most of the time they're dealing with some things that they haven't really dealt with yet. Same thing. Like when I look at people and I'm like, that guy's a fraud or that guy's, and it's, it's just my, on me. Right. Mm -hmm. So how people perceive me. Yeah. You know, people aren't going to perceive me in the highest way, but I, I really believe I know who I am. And if I start acting out in a different way that I know isn't who I want to be again, goes back to that awareness. So, um, the hiccups have just been, I think being a little too optimistic in handing over my money to companies that I believe can help me and it's just not working out. And just the devastation of like, why did I do that? You know how long it took me to make that money, whatever it may be. Uh, so I mean, that's dude, pretty that's, much it. And I, I want to get into a little bit of like some of the stuff that goes on in the background because, you know, I, you've been doing this much longer, but as someone who also like built the middle block, I built a middle blocker academy. I put in so much work. You and I built a course together. Like it took us 13 months, you know, and I was constantly yeah. like writing the script, rewriting the script, going in to film it. Like I, I and I'm still to this day so, so proud of it. Um, so proud of the work that we did together. And yet it's crazy how, like when we first started selling it, it was like 80 bucks, hundred bucks, the price of a one-on-one -on -one session with some ex college player, you'd get down the street in like a gym. Yeah. It's set. It's everything you need to know about blocking. I, we did it all for free. No one paid us to do the work and then constantly would get like, Oh, it's too expensive or like whatever. And I'm just like, yeah. my mind, like my, uh, Hmm. Now that I'm now that I've, I feel like I'm we're entering a stage of putting in the work to build these things and getting paid nothing in the beginning, it makes me appreciate and realize so much more like 
oh, the next time I see something where I'm just like 50 bucks, I'm not going to pay 50 bucks. Are you kidding me? You know what I, you know what I can get? Yeah. Like, it's like that college mindset. Cause you and me were both like scavengers, you know, where it was like, I had enough <laughs> money to like pay rent and like buy drugs and like, you know, drink on the weekends and eat food. Like that's, I couldn't imagine shuffling 20, 30, 40 bucks to be a part of a, an academy, even though I want to get better. I'm like out there searching for free information. And now it's like, as someone who's built something, I'm like, dude, you know how long this took me? And guess what? No one paid us any money along the way. And guess what? It's the best information. If, you, if you're a libero right now, it's like, and you want to get better, you're getting the best quality possible information you can watch on your phone, like hundreds of, hundreds, sorry, hours of content, maybe hundreds of hours. I don't know. Hundreds, but like ton, no, hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of hours of content of one of the best liberos breaking down like everything you need to know and you'll get like, oh, well, 30 bucks is too much or 40 bucks is too much or 20. It's just like, it's so crazy to me, dude. I think it's so wild. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard because most of the time too, when I give out these memberships of the year, you know, I'm cutting it down a hundred dollars too. And it doesn't feel right on my part, but the priority is getting people to commit for a year because if they commit for the year and they put that money down, they're more likely to do the work. They're more likely to do the work. They're going to work with more intention. If they work with more intention, they're going to see more success. They're going to be more confident. They're going to have more fun playing the sport they love. And that's what we have also felt working with Kevin. Mm-hmm. Like for yeah, I won't say don't the price. even get me started on my first year. Don't say the price either. Please don't say the price. Yeah. It's, so, yeah, it's, for, it's embarrassing for me to, so, to tell you yeah, the price for the coach we work with. We're, we're paying pretty much half our contract without paying for apartment, without paying for car, without paying for food, paying half our contract to work with a coach that we sit down for an hour and a week. And sometimes it's like, okay, that was a good meeting. Sometimes it was like, man, I don't think I'm doing anything or like nothing's happening. Or I mean, do my first have, my first nine months with, with Kevin was just like me basically being him being like, all right, so when you're going to do that thing, let's write it in the calendar. Let's do it. And me being like, yeah. I didn't do it. And like, oh, this sucks now that we're having a meeting. That's like, I feel like you're not teaching me. You need to teach me the things, teach me the things, you know? And it's like, what, what I, what I learned that makes a great coach too, is it's like, it puts you on the spot of you have to do the work. You know, you as the individual have to do the work. You're not, we're not here. To, you're not here to go to Libero Academy to get some cheap information, take notes and then bail. It's like, be invested in putting in the work and continually learning. And if you're able to make it through, like, you know, like both of us had that kind of aha moment where you wrote your list. And for me, it was like, I started going all in on like myself physically. And like, finally, six months later, I was like, oh shit, now I feel it. Now I see the difference. We're yeah. so used to living in this culture of just like, show me that free Instagram video. Uh, okay. How can I, how can I jump higher? This one exercise? Cool. I'm going to do this exercise or how can I hit harder? Like do this one thing. And it's, I get those messages constantly and, and it makes me feel like, okay, I can be a part of, and this is what I love. And you've inspired me so much to do is be a part of the solution. It's so easy for us to sit back and go through Instagram and be like, that's a shitty drill. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. This pro, like he never did me. He's <laughs> teaching. You're kidding me. Like it's so easy for us to just hate. It's so easy for me to just want to hate on Instagram. And it, it took me years of being in the background, just like kind of talking shit to nobody for me to be like, Taylor, what the fuck are you going to do, bro? Are you going to be a part of the solution? Or are you just going to sit back and just like watch some other, like talk shit on some guy? Like what kind of person are you, you know? And, and you really inspired me to be like, be a part of the solution, you know? Yeah. I mean, kind of going off a quick tangent, that was kind of the thought with noisy buckets where I'm like, 
I can't find college scores. I can't find a schedule. I have to go to each individual page. There's no highlights. There's nobody celebrating the men's game. And I got to the point where I'm like, all right, I'm just going to freaking pay someone to do it. Like, I'm going to put my money down on the table because this matters to me. This is important. And I want to show up as a solution rather than just what's easy in life is just complaining that someone else isn't doing it, complaining that there's an organization that isn't doing it well. Just like, you got to do it yourself and figure it out. And going back to the Libero Academy, I, you know, I answer all my DMs. It's probably an absolute waste of my time, but I want to be there for younger athletes. And usually it's like, oh, I can't afford it. And I say, what can you afford? Right. Mm. And they're just like, mm, nothing. And I'm like, all right. Well, like, I don't say this, but it's like, you don't value yourself. That's it. Like, you don't value mm. yourself. You say this is important, but you cannot, you know, go work a job or put money down in your name to say that this is important to me and I'm going to invest in myself. And I think we know that now, but also when we first started, we didn't really know that because I was like, with Kevin, I was like, oh, can I get to like the 50% thing? I don't want to pay this much money. But just by sticking in there, investing in yourself and understanding there's something that's important to myself. And if I invest in working with someone that knows how to get there faster and to be more intentional, to be more intelligent, to be more creative, then like it's going to work out. And like and at guess- the end of the day, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be confident. I'm going to be doing what I love at a higher level. You have to put money down in your name. Do you have to? Dude, and you know what's so interesting? So I just did yesterday, uh, I did a podcast with Jaden Russell, the kid who's here, he's 19. Anyways, uh, and it was so cool to hear from him too. Just we, we had this conversation about like, I remember when I was his age and even younger, where it's like, if I was getting information from a coach who never played, there was always a part of me just kind of like, Meh. I don't know if I really respect what you're saying. You never played. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Like, that's the honest truth. And we went through, like, um, to those coaches who have never played, I still think there's so much value. You can be an amazing coach who's never played. There's no doubt in my mind. But as a player, and if we're being honest, there's always been this, like, you know, for example, if, like, I uh, got coached by someone who played in college, I was, oh, okay, this guy played in college. Or played professionally as I got older. Oh, this guy played pro. Like, hell yeah, I want to learn something. What's he going to teach me, you know? And, uh. I just completely blanked on what I was, what the point of that was. Shuffle back with me, Dustin. What were we just talking about? I'll, I'll take over for a little bit. So, you know, well, now I just sound like an asshole. There was a point, dude. God damn it, dude. <laughs> it, it's, it's not arrogance, but it's just like when I hear people talk about the sport, it's just like, that's just not how it works. Like, that's just not how it works. You can say these things, but a lot of times it's like you're just parodying. Like, if I was going to teach blocking, I would say the things that everyone says, Hey, low and over. But like you, like we've talked about, sometimes you don't want to be low and over. Right. And so understanding, I think the, the why, and then the how, right. We open up because we have more time and space because the ball can float, how we can do this. Well, you can do this drill, this drill, and this drill. And so like, I'm just really confident. I I can break it down because I wasn't a phenom. I was someone that struggled to play at Long Beach State. I was someone that played a year down in club. I was someone that struggled to get professional contracts. And I had to figure it out and learn the hard way, pushing past these old tried and true mantras I've heard in in the States and And passing in defense. Here's the best part about this, what I was trying to say. What I'm trying to say is I love now that this is the first time where college club kids can learn from a pro someone who's not their dad because what I, the feedback i've gotten is like i'll have a dad be like i've told him that before and it's like 
yeah, it's because it's coming. And he's like, it's because it's coming from you. It's coming from someone who's, guess what? I'm not just a libero or I'm not just a middle talking about things you should do as a middle that I used to do back in the day. It's like, these are things I'm doing right now. These are drills I do right now to stay at the highest level as an mm-hmm. undersized middle. And it's the same with what you're doing. And I think this is the part that gets me so excited, especially about doing it right now is I think kids are so much more susceptible to listening to someone who's not. And I say this all the time. I'm like, I think the best part is like, you're not getting information from your dad, from your coach. Where like, I remember when I was 16, it was like, he's my coach. It's like, he might as well be my father. You know, it's like, you look at them differently. And then uh, of course you get older and like your parents kind of start to become your friends and you start to see them as human beings. And I think that's what is so amazing about what you're doing is like, you're, we're now, we're now bridging the gap of here's great information. And it's coming from a place of someone you're going to respect right away. And it's coming in a, in a language, in a rhetoric. That's like, at least for me, it's like, this is me, dude. Sometimes I swear. Sometimes I'm making appropriate jokes. Like I'm still figuring <laughs> me out. Like, you know, like that's just, I'm just giving you me. And I think it's, I think the content becomes so much more relatable when it's not just like suit and tie. Like this is how you should be blocking. And you, everyone meets in a ballroom to talk about uh, coaching strategies. It's like, this is just like, yo, what up, dude? This is no easy buckets. We got a skull on our shirt, you know, <laughs> like side out or die, bro. Like, I think that shit is so cool. And I don't know. I, I have a feeling that it's just going to continue to get better. And that gets me so excited because I think it's a message. You talked about like being able to uh, create something for your 15 year old self and something I've been in my life in general trying to work through is like, how can I deliver a message in a way that my 16, 15 year old self would have listened to? Because I was mm-hmm. kind of a shitty kid where I was just like, it, it, you know, like I was doing smoking weed all the time and like kind of getting into some bad <laughs> shit. And like, you know, I wasn't the best kid and I, I was just did whatever the fuck I wanted. And so it like, it had to come in the right way from the right person for me to be like, oh, okay. Like I had to learn a lot of things like you did the hard way. Um, and, and now I'm constantly like, how could I have, how can I deliver a message where kids are like, Oh, this guy's tight. And like, I feel like he gets it. And like, because now we're all, maybe it's a, a coach who's 50 years old, 60, a parent, whatever us. It's the, the, the most important part is creating change in a positive way for the next generation and for kids in college and for kids who want to go pro. And that's the part that I think you're, it's very clear you care about. And that I care about now is it's like, how do I get through to that kid? who like just doesn't want to hear information that his dad's like, no, no kids just like, okay, okay, dad, I'll just do this. You know, like that's the exactly. shit I think about now. That's the feedback I've gotten to a lot during um, the lockdowns where I, I did a lot of calls of NCAA and club teams and yeah, the club directors and the coaches that reached out, we see things the same way, meditation and journaling, but it's like, okay, mom or okay, dad, I'll meditate. Ooh. Right. But then I come on, I'm a third party. I have, there's no like conditional attachment, right? It's unconditional. It's like, hey, you can do whatever you want, but I meditate. You can do whatever you want. I journal. I don't, I don't know you. I don't, I don't, I don't decide if you're playing or not, but it's like, yeah, I meditate. I journal. And it was so rewarding after whether it's the athlete or the coaches, or the coaches like everyone is doing it now, or like the athletes are like, hey, I've been trying it for a week and it's really had a big effect. And I think that's that's the most fulfilling part is through our kind of struggles. And again, going back to, I think the best thing any athlete can do is just through the opportunities to quit or we didn't quit. We've learned a lot about ourselves. We've evolved. And through that evolution, we can share it with the next generation so they don't have to hit that hurdle. Instead, they can go over it if they choose to, right? Because not every athlete is going to be like, 
yeah, I want to go online and watch videos about how I can be a better libero. But you know what? There is a lot of them. And I want to find those kids and I want to help them. And the thought is to give them no excuses. Any question they have, they have it. And for kids now that DM me, they're like, hey, what can I do in passing? I'm like, eh, I'm not, what do you want from me? Like, what yeah. do you want from me? You have an opportunity to go on this website where I've spent years upon years creating, you know, over 140 videos or sorry, over 400 videos. And all the answers are right there. If you just want me to like watch a video and make a suggestion, it's like, I can't help you because you're not looking to help yourself. Yeah. You're not, you don't believe in yourself because you don't believe in yourself. You're not investing in yourself. Again, I'm not going to tell that kid that, but more or less, it's just like, I'm going to honor those kids at the highest level possible that are putting money down on their name. I worked with a kid one-on-one who, who paid the price. He, he paid it himself. It was crazy. He was in college, like at a D2 school. And, you know, he worked a summer job to do it. And like, he does it. And going back to the setbacks, when people say that they can't afford it to work with me one-on-one, I'm like, that's fine. That's your personal preference, right? Or it's like, maybe you thought it was too, too much. That's okay. But after working with this kid and for him doing it himself and still having conversations with them, because we only work every like six months, we'll do a month together. And to hear the feedback of him, like crushing it, of loving it, of setting a school record. It's like, yeah. You know, because we also, we have the imposter syndrome of like, who Dude. am I to help someone? And I, I really think the best part, you, you said no excuses. Uh, the best part to me is, is just like, we've created tiers for everyone. <laughs> like, okay, you can't afford to work with Dustin one-on-one. Great. Then there's this, there's courses. Can't afford it. Great. Then there's the Academy. Can't afford that. Go on his Instagram and be some like sneaky little kid, which I know tons of people do who are just trying to like get the, some free information and put the pieces together. Like it's dude, you have every level and it's really just about how much are you willing to invest on yourself to get to where you want to go? And I think that's, that was my thing always is like, and as you know, these projects take so much time and people don't understand. It's like, you're playing professionally still. That's already exhausting. Why do you think most players do nothing but play video games and watch TV when they get home? Because it's so much easier and you're exhausted and you're tired. The amount of hours I've been like, fuck, I would rather take a nap right now, but didn't. And you're like way ahead of me on that scale. It's like your dedication to what you're doing is like times a million what I'm even close to accomplishing. And I just think it's like the, the, the part to me that was always hard is it's like, oh man, I don't have the hours to work. I, if I charge $50 an hour to work with me one-on-one, I work with a thousand kids. I don't have that much time. And I also want to create these other things. I also want to do the pot. I also want, I also have a job. Like I'm also traveling and like, and I think creating tiers where it's like, it's no longer just like, if you have a, if you have X amount of money, now you can work with me. It's like, dude, if you can't find a way to make $20 a month, like to be a part of libero, like at that point, you're just making excuses, dude. And that's what I love so much about what you've done is you've not just gone to the kids who like, you know, all right, this is the time I have. This is how much it costs. This is what it costs to work with me. And I have to say a lot of no, it's like, you found a way to be like, actually, it doesn't matter what your background, what's available to you locally uh, to play volleyball, whatever. It's like, you've created a no excuses, no easy buckets experience, dude. And I'm... (laughs) I think it's so cool, dude. I, we we got to wrap we got to wrap it up here in a second because uh, your boys got to eat some lunch and go to training. But I feel like we could talk about this forever. Um, but I do, I and, do, and in the and in the sun this summer. Yeah, for sure. Well, we're you're gonna we're gonna talk. There's a lot of things actually. Surprisingly, we didn't get to that I had written down for just like ideas for conversation. But I I think uh, I really 
really just this was this was fantastic dude because i think our relationship too i'm just going to keep sending you so much love like you've inspired me so much to build an academy to do a course and i remember even you and me like splitting 50 50 on the course i was like wait it's fine for me wait it's like having that kind of like egotistical <laughs> boy i should do it and i hear players all the time like i heard a player like you, you dig or missed a dig and someone was like oh no easy buckets or like said some shit and it made me laugh because i'm like dude, it's so easy to hate, bro. It's so easy. It's so easy to be like me, me, me. And you are really my number one inspiration for like, for finding a way to not make it about me, to understand that I am going to learn. I am going to grow. I do want to learn how to run a business. I do. I do want to make money so I can get paid to do something I love doing. And I think that's what we're, we've been so blessed in our lives to get to live a, a comfortable living, doing something we've loved as a kid. And now we have an opportunity to get paid to do something we love as an adult and are really good at and will really change the world in a positive way in our volleyball community. And dude, you are just my number one inspiration. I could cry right now. I'm serious. Like, it means so much to me to have a friend like you, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've had a lot of conversations in the past, you know, about our spot in the national team. And I think our journeys really align. And it's just felt really good these past two years. Like, I don't look at my own stat sheets, but I love looking at yours and just seeing how well you've done, knowing the route that you've had to travel to get to this league, to have someone to believe in a smaller middle could could play well in Poland and just to see you dominate. And so likewise, I'm just really, uh, really grateful to have you as a friend, really excited to see you continue to progress as an athlete and as a leader, as a mentor, and just excited to see what's next, because I know whatever you do, you put your whole heart into it. And because of that, everyone around you is a lot better. And I'm excited for our little buff boys group. What's that chat to start pumping again? Hopefully Bitcoin or one of these freaking yeah, cryptos. Get... will do something so we can have fun again, dude. Because those were good yeah, yeah. times, dude. February 2020. Those were good times, dude. <laughs> really good time. <laughs> um, okay, dude. Also, like I can imagine if you're listening to this, you know about No Easy Buckets. But for those who don't know, just direct them. Where can they find what you're doing? Your Instagram, your pages, like everything. Yeah. Your no time. Easy Buckets. N-O-E-Z-Y buckets on instagram um and then the liberoacademy.com um is where we run we have a monthly uh membership yearly membership i think by the time this is out we're gonna have the new slunks in so another way that i want to honor athletes that are going all in we don't sell our slunks we have an awesome portuguese designer that has made them and uh anyone that goes a year in i'm gonna send you the slunks for free part of the community part of the tribe and then, um, you know, you can find all the information about the clinics throughout the summer on my page and Noisy Buckets as well. We bring in a couple of professional athletes from Europe, um, possibly one from Brazil as well. And we'll be doing some private clinics in California that are only open to athletes in the Libero Academy. And the thought is, once again, I want to honor these athletes that are putting the work in the dark when nobody's watching. And selfishly i want to run clinics at a really high level and i just don't want to leave it open to the public where people are like what's this footstep what do you mean scoop right so the people that are coming to these academies they already know the concepts the terminology and we're going to do things at a really high level and have a lot of fun with it sick sick dude uh, i'm so excited to see like where this ends up i can't wait for you to come back on here uh, 10 years from now and for us to have like a way different conversation like dude it's just yeah, it's so, well. it's so fucking cool i love you i'm so grateful for you buddy um, i want to talk to you about something right after this so stay on but for those of you listening thank you 
Uh, if you got any thoughts or questions, drop them in the comments. Uh, I never say that kind of stuff. Also, please like and subscribe, dude. Help out the podcast. Like, I I love getting to do these. I love getting to uh, go deep with like close friends and people who are so successful and inspire me. And uh, yeah, so show some support for what Dustin's doing, for what I'm doing, for what people pros who are like putting themselves out there to do something cool um it means a lot and just those little messages like you said dude like someone sending me a little message about like oh dude you being vulnerable on the podcast talking about this like it helped me so much. like i get that all the time dude some kid from germany was like i was super depressed and listened to it's so cool to hear that you've dealt with that and like i mean that's the part the unspoken part the part that we don't even get feedback we don't even understand how much these things creating the academy podcast things have such an amazing impact on our community um and I've, i'm so grateful to get to speak with the man who really inspired me to do a lot of this so i love you buddy cool love you too peace baby